Hello and welcome to another message of the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. We hope that our ministry is helping you get closer to the Lord by helping you understand better His ways. If you have any questions or just need some prayer, please feel free to contact us through our website at www.thelatterrain.org. We would be glad to help. We would also like to make you aware that our English audio messages are now available as podcasts through iTunes. Please look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under Podcasts as the Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. We hope this will make it easier for you to stay tuned. As part of today's look into God's Word, we'll be seeing Proverbs chapter 29. We'll see both directly and also by inference the need for righteousness, for wisdom, and for a sound mind. We will see that all of the righteousness and wisdom in the world is nothing without a sound mind and the reasonable application of God's principles and laws to everything in our life. Please stay with us for the next few minutes as we listen to today's message. Let's pray together for a few moments and ask the Lord that He help us understand and that He deal with our hearts, our minds, and our strength because what we're going to discuss today involves everything we are. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I praise You and I worship You. Blessed and Heavenly Father, for You are worthy to be praised and exalted, for there is no one like You. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I give You thanks for Your Son, Jesus Christ, for for the love and mercy and grace that we find through Him, for the forgiveness of our sins, for His sacrifice. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, now, Lord, that You please... um that you help us to understand, that you help us, O oh Lord, to uh, to deal with our hearts and minds and, and with everything that we are, Lord God, that we may just be able to subject everything to you. Heavenly Father, help us to understand, Lord God, that your word is, is obviously spiritual, but it's very practical in every kind of way uh, that you want us to live out your word in our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray for each person listening. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you may work in them in a mighty way. Help us, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we'll be looking at Proverbs chapter 29. And this is what his word says. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. By transgression an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. 
The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. A servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Whoever is a partner with the thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. The fear of a man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. We see throughout the passage that righteousness and wisdom is all over it. Of course, there are other things, but these stand out a lot. But righteousness and wisdom do not necessarily come on their own from a very practical sense. Let's discuss righteousness a little bit more. There is the spiritual aspect of righteousness or being righteous, which is not necessarily what we're trying to explain today. But for the sake of clarity, we'll look into this briefly. The Bible teaches us that we can never be righteous on our own or by our good works. To better understand, we should define the word righteousness, which simply means the quality of being morally right or justifiable. The word righteousness is synonymous with perfect or good and able to do justice. Now, according to the Bible, it is impossible for man to be any of these on their own because of our sinful nature. According to the scriptures, we were born with sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And because of that sinful nature that is embedded in our being, we have committed sin as well. Basically, no one is perfect, no one is truly good, and we can never right our own wrongs. I know it's tough to hear, but it is the truth. Here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is how we understand that no one is perfect, and we are incapable of dealing with our sin on our own. We can't fix this problem by ourselves. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So you see, because we cannot fulfill the law of God, which not only includes the Ten Commandments, but actually all the literal law of God contained in Genesis through Deuteronomy, we're under a curse. And that curse is that we are hell-bound. Our sin leads us to hell, and there is nothing we can do about it on our own. As we just read, our only option is faith. 
For it says again that the just shall live by faith. And if we go by the definition of the word righteousness, we become just or are justified by faith alone. That's all we have available to us. This is one of the main problems with the concept of psychology, in that it looks to justify what a person does wrong, and of course, it does it in a manner that clearly goes against all biblical teaching. It is usually the case that when a person does something wrong, that it is because something happened to them or someone else did something to them. Psychology attempts to explain a person's decisions through external factors rather than through the person's own choice. Now, there is a certain truth to outside influences, whether they're negative experiences or people that have wrongly treated others. There are factors that can contribute to the behavior of a person, but they are only factors. Those factors are not necessarily what cause you to sin. You sin because you choose to sin, because of what is in you. Sinning is your choice because of your sinful nature and because you are under free will. James chapter 1 verse 13 to 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This all happens within a person's heart, not outside. So neither the devil can force you to do anything, nor other people, nor other people's actions, and so on. We sin because we choose to. And this is all unrighteousness, or the opposite of good and justice. If we continue to follow the definition of righteousness, our actions are not justifiable. It's a painful truth, but it is what it is. And this is true for all of us. We're all in the same boat, if you will. The Bible further goes on to explain the following in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, we only have faith and God's grace left so that we can achieve righteousness. And not because of what we can do or how good we think we can be or how much we may think we can justify ourselves. And the gift of God, the gift of salvation can only be found through Jesus Christ. That's why he died for us. So we could be saved and be able to be seen as righteous and justified before the eyes of a holy and almighty God. So from a spiritual point of view, that's how we become righteous. Now, the practical aspect of doing righteousness, which is what we are looking at today, is simply doing those things that are good, that are just, and that are justifiable before God. And here's where a lot of people get lost a bit in forgetting the very reason for why we were created by overextending grace to the point where our actions don't matter. That is just not biblical. Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets within us. We are to put into practice his word 
So in faith and grace, there is such a thing as works. You cannot be saved by your own works, but rather you are saved through Jesus Christ so you can do good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And also our faith in Christ should lead us to do good works, to please Him, because we are now being led by His Holy Spirit. Good works follow those that follow Christ. The Bible is very explicit in that if we don't have good works, then our faith is dead. If a person does not produce good works, then what is necessary has simply not happened yet in their life or something is just dreadfully wrong. We were created for good works, and so we should produce good works. And good works go beyond singing in church and being theological people. James chapter 2 explains to us very clearly what these good works should entail in the life of a believer. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart, in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? By works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And the second most important commandment before God is that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So part of good works is doing good to others, people you know, and people you don't know, doing good things to everyone, even to your enemy, which is tough, I know, but that is what Jesus taught us. So the righteousness that we ultimately need to practice is towards God, fulfilling the first and most important commandment of all, by loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and towards our fellow man. That is the practical righteousness that the Bible teaches us we should practice as part of the faith we have. Now regarding wisdom, we can quickly glance at this again because we have gone over it quite a bit. Wisdom basically comes when you fear God. What generates wisdom is when you fear God, which is a deep respect and also a healthy fear of actually being afraid of God. That is the root of wisdom. And practical wisdom should be sought after by praying for it always and by searching through the scriptures. 
God's wisdom is all over the scriptures. So, like practical righteousness, there is a practical wisdom which is all contained within the Word of God. Now, the last part of today's discussion is something very deep and very practical as well. Something that involves everything that we are and that is a sound mind. All of the righteousness and wisdom in the world will never do you or anyone any good if it is not applied, if it is not lived out within us. And so here is where we learn that following God daily is a very practical and real thing. There is nothing in the Bible that teaches us that righteousness and wisdom are theoretical things or just knowledge-based. We need to learn that everything needs to be acted out and put into practice. So if we understand this, then we understand that it is not just about being saved and that it is not just about having the Holy Spirit in your life, but it is about making all of that work through the understanding and living out God's Word in everything that we do, in every aspect of our life, so that we can practice righteousness and so we can apply godly wisdom, ultimately, so we can have good works because those do not happen by themselves. We have to apply our members to do it once we have understood the decision we made to follow Christ. Before Christ, we applied our members both intentionally and unintentionally to sin. But now that we are in Christ, we should apply our members, our being, to do that which pleases God, to do everything opposite to sin. Sin equals death. Christ equals life. So we should stop producing death and start producing life. That's the process that needs to happen in every Christian, in every follower of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul clearly explains this concept in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 to 14, where it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So there is no need to get all theological. It's quite simple. God's inside of you, so put to work what you have for God now. We used to work for death, so now let's work for life. Let's take advantage of grace. The Bible teaches us something very practical through Psalm chapter 1, which says the following, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Through this passage we are taught to not only get into the law of the Lord or His Word, but to delight in it and to meditate on it day and night. And if we do that, 
we will have positive outcomes in our life, both here and now, and also in the future, when we stand in the judgment, and that we will be in the congregation of the righteous, and that we will not perish. But of course, we need to practice what we read, and study, and meditate, and delight in. That's why the delight part is very important, because we not only take in the word, but we understand the why, and we put it into practice. Without any practice, then there is no point. The Word of God must be applied to our lives. It must be fulfilled in our lives. God's principles must be done as part of daily living. They need to become part of our lifestyle, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we understand just how important it is to obey and please our God if, in fact, He is our God. And here is where the last part of our discussion comes in even more clearly. A sound mind. We mentioned that before. Before there can be appropriate action, because there is action in everything in our lives, we, there needs to be an internal process that should happen first. This internal process should happen before we speak, before we do anything, especially if we want for things to come out right. So, when we follow the Lord, we cannot be instinctive people. Why? Because our instincts can still be all screwed up thanks to the sinful nature that is still within us. Because again, we were born with sin as we saw earlier. So, sin is part of our nature which means that it is part of our instincts. So, we have to rely on a few other things if we want for our internal process to be right. The first thing is that we need to be regenerated or born again. And as God's Word explains that, it means that we need to repent and convert from all of our sins and accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives. This is the only way that we have to resurrect our soul and have the Spirit of God come into our lives. If our soul remains in its dead state, because of its sins, then there is no life in us, even if we're alive physically. We are disconnected from God. But once Christ comes to take ownership of our lives, we are regenerated, resurrected, and brought back to life and connected to God through His Holy Spirit. The second thing is that we need to spend time in our newfound relationship with God through Jesus Christ by praying, which is just talking to God, and studying the Word. And we've already explained just how important the Word of God should be in our lives. The Word is critical because that is where all godly knowledge can be found. And that wisdom can only be brought to the forefront of our thoughts through the Holy Spirit. So it is more than just plain intellect and memory. John chapter 14 verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit teaches us, but also reminds us of God's word. He brings it up when we need it. But if we don't read or study or meditate or delight in God's word, the Holy Spirit will not be able to recall anything for you. It's not like some people think that you just come to Christ and everything just happens magically. No, that's not the way it works. There is always some work involved. 
The difference is that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is helping us. Now, why a help? Because everything is still based on free will. Why? Because love is free will. God did not create us to be pre-programmed robots. He made us into rational living beings that desire to follow Him in response to who He is and what He has done for us. We are the highest form of His creation. We are the only ones with intelligence and reason. And here's where we directly touch upon a sound mind. Because of that intelligence and reason that we do have. And because we should understand the responsibility and the implications that free will carries within itself. The Bible teaches us this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When we are in Christ... Our mind also needs to be transformed by cleaning it up with the Word of God. In everything that we have said and what is written, there is the implication of a sound mind, which means this, that before we go and say something, do something, make decisions and so on, that there is this internal process that should take place where the Holy Spirit, the Word of God and submission are brought together, if you will. Here is where we put to work our sound mind by giving God first place in our lives because we're talking about more than just self-control. Self-control, in other words, is like hitting the brakes or stopping all at once before doing anything, which is a good thing. But a sound mind is hitting the brakes or stopping all at once and putting God first and allowing time for the Holy Spirit to remind you of what God says and putting into action what God's wisdom says. Not your instincts or your opinions and your human preconceived notions. Now you are really going places when you do this. When you have this internal process in place where you practically put God first and allow for his wisdom and understanding to be your God. God should be the first thing we think of before doing anything, even the simplest of things. This is how we practically put God first in our lives, which is really in our best interest. Everything God wants for us is for our own good. Let's meditate on what we have talked about for just a couple seconds. How many wrong decisions could have been avoided by having this internal process, by putting God first? How many mistakes could have been avoided? How many fights or arguments could go away? How many hurtful things would have not been said? How much loss or regret would be non-existent in your life if godly decisions would have been made? What God is mainly after for us is for our own good. Jesus came to give us life, for he himself said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. His wisdom gives us life. Every aspect of His righteousness gives us life. And a godly sound mind in us helps us implement that godly wisdom and righteousness. It does not get any more practical than this because this is all part of the good works 
we should be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. We were made for good works, which consist of loving God above all things and loving our neighbor, which all implies actions that produce life. Following what God tells you to do produces the greatest good for you and everyone around you. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and I praise you and I worship you for your wisdom, for your righteousness, for your teaching, for your word, for your instruction. Heavenly Father, thank you because you are only looking for our best interests. Heavenly Father, you are, you are wise beyond words and you are loving beyond words. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that you care so much about us. I give you thanks, O oh Lord, because, Lord, you want to involve us in so many different things and, and you want to do so many, so many awesome things in our lives, through our lives, and, and in the lives of others that surround us. Heavenly Father, you, you just want to produce good things. And it's so hard for us to understand it sometimes because we're so focused on, on us and on what we want and what we desire. And, and, and Lord, we lose sight that even though we, we may be saved, but we still have a sinful nature that, to deal with and that we can't rely on what we want and what we think of. We need to rely completely on you. And, and we need to put your wisdom and your righteousness into action. But Heavenly Father, help us to have this sound mind, this self-control that, that before we say anything, before we do anything, before we decide on anything, Heavenly Father, help us to give you that preeminence, that first place that we seek for you, that we seek your guidance, that we, that we Lord God, allow for your Holy Spirit to remind us of your word and that we might be able to make wise decisions. That we may be able to do righteous and justifiable things before your eyes. Heavenly Father, that our lives may be for your honor and glory. And Lord God, that when you are glorified, just great and awesome things happen all around. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that. Help us, O oh Lord, to subject ourselves to you fully and completely, Lord God. Understanding and knowing that you are God, that you are Lord, that you are loving, and you know more than we can ever know. I give you thanks and I praise you, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us again next time as we continue looking into God's Word together. Please feel free to write to us through our website if you have any questions or just need some prayer. Our web address again is www.thelatterrain.org. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.